4, 2 Timothy chapter number 4, and we'll get back in our Bible study tonight in our series uh, on ministry companions, and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, continuing that this evening, and I enjoy studying the Bible. I enjoy uh, allowing the Word of God to speak to me. I enjoy, uh, I don't just study it just to preach to you. I, I enjoy getting uh, edified by it. I enjoy uh, growing, and uh, I have just, this series has helped, I believe, me grow as a Christian and as a pastor, and uh, I certainly enjoy studying the Word of God. I enjoy uh, when the Spirit of God just illuminates certain truths uh, in the Bible, and then when you see them, uh, or you see something that you haven't seen before, you're, you, you realize, well, that's been there the whole time. How come I wasn't paying close attention before uh, to see it? But uh, tonight is one of those truths that uh, I believe is going to be a help to us. Of course, we are in 2 Timothy 4, and we know that the Apostle Paul is coming to the end of his life. Uh, this is the last letter he will write. He's writing to Timothy. He bids Timothy to come, to come quickly. Uh, he knows that his days are numbered, uh, and he wants Timothy to be there with him, but he also wants Timothy to bring some things with him. And then he begins at the end of the letter to mention uh, many people, and we've, we've, we've called them his ministry companions, those that he has served with. Now, let me remind all of us, I believe, and the Bible teaches, and I'm sure you'd be in agreement with me tonight, that every born-again believer should be serving the Lord through the local church. Every Christian should be and is in the ministry. Uh, we all have different responsibilities. We all have different opportunities. And I think sometimes we devalue what it is that God has given us to do for Him. Uh, I'll use an example. This is the first thing that pops up my mind. Uh, an, an usher should not look at his responsibility and say it's not important. Because if you do that, you're looking to God and saying, I'm doing this for you, so therefore, you know, it's not important because it's not something else. No, if you have an area of service, it's important. You're in the ministry. We as a church are serving the Lord together, and we are serving with one another. Uh, we are on the same team. The, the choir is not against uh, the, 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 the nursery workers, and the ushers are not against the, the sound men. As a matter of fact, we're all against the sound men. Uh, you know, it, we're all on the same team trying to do something for the Lord. Don't devalue the opportunity you have. Don't dismiss what you get to do for God. And so we know this, and so he lists all of these individuals, uh, uh, most very positive, a couple that he points out that had forsaken, who had tried to do him harm. Uh, and so he, he speaks of that. He speaks of that faithful Savior who never left his side. Last week, we looked at verse 19, and we're going to look at verse 19 again, and then we're going to turn to the uh, beginning of 2 Timothy. Salute Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Now tonight, I want to look at the ministry companion of Onesiphorus. And we're going to see some very key things about this individual. Turn with me to chapter number 1 of 2 Timothy, and we're going to look at the last three verses of chapter number 1 for our text as well this evening. 
We see in verse number 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 1, The Lord give mercy unto the house of Anesiphorus, for he oft refreshed me. I was not ashamed of my chain, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus, thou knowest very well. I want to take that phrase there at the beginning when Paul says, For he oft refreshed me. I want to talk about Onesiphorus, the refreshing friend. I want you to pay close attention tonight because I believe as we get into this, the Holy Spirit's going to connect some dots for us of how important we can be and we are to the work of God. I believe when we get to heaven... There's going to be a lot of unsung heroes who get the recognition by God they deserve. I think we would be surprised, if you can't be surprised in heaven, that some were so key to the work of God, and they went virtually unnoticed. They went without thanks. But I want us to pay close attention tonight. There's some key things in, in this chapter, in this lesson that I want us to see. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank you once again for the opportunity to be in church. We thank you for your word and the opportunity to read it, to study it, to meditate on it, to learn it. And Father, I pray that tonight would be one of those lessons that just grabs a hold of us and reminds us of some things we already know, but we tend to forget, but also... Uh, enlightens us on the opportunities we have to be a blessing to others. And Father, may this individual and his household be an example to us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at all of these companions listed in 2 Timothy chapter 4, this uh, individual, this greeting of Onesiphorus is probably the most unique uh, if you notice, he says, salute Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. And when he mentions him, he doesn't just mention Onesiphorus. And a matter of fact, he doesn't speak to him directly. But notice what the Bible says, in the household of Onesiphorus. He greets him a little bit differently. He greets his household, but I want you to notice that and I brought this out a little bit last week. He says, salute Priscilla and Aquila and salute the household of Onesiphorus. The word salute is a greeting that carries with it a special honor. It's more than just a casual hello. It's more than just your usual greeting. Its meaning is to greet, to hail, to address with expressions of kind wishes. It was a greeting that brought with it significant respect and honor. Paul was showing his respect not just to Onesiphorus, but also to his family by saluting them in his address. I want to pause right there, and I want to bring, point out something we see in Paul's character that we have looked at before. Paul was very aware of those who served around him. Paul was very aware of their needs. He was very aware of their participation and contribution to not just his ministry, but the cause of Christ. 
This is going to be brought out in this lesson tonight. It's interesting and it is important for you and I to note that he did not just greet Anesiphorus by name, but he said salute his household. Now, we're going to look at who this man was and the role that he played in, his, in, in, in the ministry of Paul. But I want us to see, Paul was showing his respect not just to Anesiphorus, but also to his family by saluting them in the address. No doubt Paul knew Onesiphorus' family. No doubt he spent fellowship with them. Surely there were many times he ministered to them and taught them. He encouraged them as he played the role of pastor to this family. This was not just a relationship that Paul had with one man. He had a relationship with the man and his family. This salutation, of course, was a salutation of respect for his family, but it was also a salutation of great respect for this man, Anesiphorus. As we see in chapter number 1, those three verses, 16, 17, and 18, we find, find Paul mentioning specific things that this man did for him. It's, it would be one thing if Paul said, this man was a blessing to me, and that would be a pretty significant acknowledgement. But Paul gives us a little more detail about this character, and I think these truths are going to be a blessing to us as Paul writes to Timothy and reminds him of this man, Onesiphorus. Uh, he said, first of all, and we took our text from this tonight, for he oft refreshed me. Uh, the ministry can be exhausting. The ministry can drain. Uh, when, when you, ha when you uh, deal with people, when you carry burdens, when you get into the grind of the ministry seven days a week, it can be exhausting. Uh, when you work a full-time job and then leave that job and then you go to work in ministry uh, because you want to have a part in the work of God, it can be exhausting. Paul, no doubt, was very key to what God was doing during this time. And he said, this man refreshed me. That's not part of my outline tonight, but I do want to point out that if this man refreshed him, there were times when Paul needed to be refreshed. And Paul was a great man, but he was a man. He had the power of God, but he still need, needed ministry companions around him to enable him to do the work of God. There are those who encourage others in ministry, and we thank God for them. As the pastor of this church, I thank God for every person who encourages me in every way. But this goes a step beyond encouragement, and he says he refreshed me. To be refreshed is to be invigorated, revived, or cheered up. Onesiphorus was not that Baptist bucket of water that was going to douse your spirit looking for somebody who was in a good mood so you could, they could convince them that they should be just as miserable as they are. This was not this man. This was a man that had some qualities about him that when Paul was around him, it refreshed him. When Paul felt drained, when he, when he was taxed with the ministry and certainly the persecutions and the load he has, when this man was around him, 
It refreshed him. It revived his spirit. Uh, when Paul was going through difficult times, no doubt, Onesiphorus was there to cheer him up. Uh, you probably, most of us, if not all of us, can think of somebody like this. Some people just have that ability to refresh someone's spirit. It will always remind us of the battle. You know, it's like, uh, it's miserable days out here, isn't it? Well, we know what's going on in our nation. But sometimes it's good, and God gives us people to refresh us so that we can keep going. And every one of us, you may know, we, we, the size of our church, there are people in our church that are always carrying burdens. They, we, we deal with new things all the time. We pray for them. And, and we can pray for them, and we can let them know we're praying for them. But we don't always have to let them know I'm praying for, and so it brings their burden right to mine. Uh, let them know you're praying for them, but we ought to work at refreshing a spirit. Does that make sense? Some people just have that ability. Uh, they put a smile on our face. They know the right words to say to distract us from the difficulties we are facing. We certainly need encouragers. Say, Pastor, I don't, I don't have a ministry. How about the ministry of encouragement? You will never, that's job security right there, if you're just going to encourage the brethren. We need encouragers. We need refreshers too. Those who refresh the spirit of those who are there, the companions. He said, he refreshed me. Number two, look in verse number 16. There's something else he said about this man. He said, and was not ashamed of my chain. This, this is so, so important. Paul had been in prison and put in chains. We spoke of this a couple of weeks ago on the fearful companions. And how many fled because of the adversity that Paul was facing. Paul had been in prison and put in chains. He was accused and shamed by the authorities. Without a doubt, there are some Christians who did not want to bear the same reproach of Paul. This was not the case with Onesiphorus. When these things occur, such as Paul was enduring, some do not want to identify themselves as a companion until they know that the battle is over. When the battle's over and the coast is clear, let me know and I'll be right there with you. Paul knew who was who. And he said, he was not afraid, he was not ashamed of my chain. Let me just help all of us now. And if you don't know what I'm talking about, then you'll be okay. But there's many, I'm sure, who do. There's a movement and there's a group who grew up in churches like this. And then they want to cast a disparaging accusation on those of us who believe what we believe. And then they want to run when the devil fights, and they're ashamed of the chain of those who face the attacks of the devil. Well, if the Bible is true before the devil fights, the Bible is true during. It's true after. This is a great characteristic and by the way, when, when, when our brothers and sisters in Christ and those of us who we serve with, 
When they're going through a hard time, that's not the time to leave them. Somebody, God forbid, somebody in this crowd tonight may get entangled with something and fall. Are we their brother? Are we their companion? Then we shouldn't be ashamed of them. If they're trying to do what's right, trying to get back up, so you see, we, we win people. We say, let's go out and let's win those people who are just grabbed by sin and their lives have been devastated. And then we, we win them and we, we invite them to church and then nobody wants to talk to them because they were a... I don't think it's that way here. and It shouldn't be. You see the point that I'm making. Onesiphorus was not ashamed of his chain. And by the way, if you're not paying attention to what's going on in our nation... The accusation is the number one tool of the devil politically and spiritually. You look at the things that are said about our government leaders. You look at the things that are done. It's just easy to do. And, well, the pressure is on them. I said, this is no, he said, he was not ashamed of my chain. These, these are people who do not always turn against us, but they don't stand and identify themselves with us. Onesiphorus was never ashamed of Paul's sufferings, nor embarrassed when Paul was accused and imprisoned. He proudly identified himself with his friend. If you've got a friend like Onesiphorus, you've got a friend. Is it any wonder with this context that Paul said, he refreshed me? He was my friend. He was not ashamed of my chain. Let's look at the third thing he see, we see here. He said in verse 17, but when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. When he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. Onesiphorus came to Rome but did not know where to find Paul. There was no GPS locator. Why did he come to Rome? To find Paul. He was dedicated to his friend. No doubt Onesiphorus understood the significance of the Apostle Paul to the cause of Christ. He felt, in my opinion, a sense of responsibility to Paul. I've got to get to him so that I can encourage him so that I can be refreshing to him. He came to Rome, but didn't know where he was in Rome. And what did he say? He sought me out diligently. This is the way a lot of times we act when it comes to situations like this, even in ministry and helping others. It's like we, we, say, we say, I'm going to help. And the first obstacle we come up to is like, well, I tried. Lord, close that door. Uh, Anissa Forrest sought him diligently. He sought until he found him. He didn't quit until he found him. The Bible doesn't tell us, and we can speculate. I wonder how long it took Onesiphorus to find Paul. I've got to find... What? Okay, everybody... I mean, we serve together. We, we, we're in the, we serve the cause of Christ as the body of Christ, as the local church. This right here ought to serve as the standard to the length we will go to to help and to be a blessing 
to another ministry companion. If somebody needs help, if somebody needs encouragement, I want to do what I can do to be a help to them. Paul is giving Timothy and reminding Timothy and laying out for us the, the kind of character this man had, why this man refreshed Paul. Notice what else he says. But in verse 17, he says, But when he, was in, when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. The Lord granted to him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day, and how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus thou knowest very well. Notice that phrase, and how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus. And that's the force for such a friend that Paul could not begin to list how he had ministered to him. It was what Anesiphorus did. He ministered to Paul. And by the way, let me just throw this in here now. Don't let anybody disparage a ministry like this. Well, all you do is try and serve a man. All you... It's just not the man you serve. That's why you got a problem with it. This was, well, all I know is Onesiphorus served Paul. And he's preserved forever in Scripture. And Paul acknowledges before he dies, he didn't just say, thanks, Onesiphorus. He said, I salute your whole house. Because you refreshed me, and there may have been times when I would, have, I, would have, I would have been discouraged, gave up, but you refreshed my spirit so that I could be what I need to be. Don't underestimate that, and don't let anybody disparage the opportunity to serve another to keep them in the service, in the ministry, continuing to go. There's going to be a lot of Christians... Who, who get acknowledged at the judgment seat of Christ because it was their kind words that kept somebody in the battle so that they could do, quote-unquote, great things for God. In how many things he ministered unto me at Ephesus. He was the one who made sure that Paul had everything he needed. I imagine Onesiphorus is always being under the feet of Paul. Everywhere Paul meant, he's, okay, Onesiphorus, get out of the way. I, I, I got to get going. But he was always there to help Paul. He was just available. When Paul was discouraged, he was there to encourage him. When Paul was under attack, he was there to defend him. When Paul was hungry or thirsty, Onesiphorus was there to give him food or drink. Onesiphorus was the one who always wanted to help Paul in any way he could. People like Onesiphorus are extraordinary. Because it's not one of the points I'll bring out, but to live like that is to live a selfless life. To minister to others. Isn't that what we're all supposed to be? We're all supposed to be a servant. We serve our Lord, but we also serve to meet the needs of one another. You belong to this church in a byproduct of being a member of the Manual Baptist Church. You will be helped. You will grow. There will be times you'll be discouraged, and the song is exactly what you needed that song. The message will be exactly what you needed. That's just the byproduct of being part of the church. The church was never intended to be about you or meet your needs or my needs. 
That's just what the church, that's a byproduct. It will. That's why we need to be part of the church. But we ought to be part of the church so that we can meet the needs of somebody else. And so that we can serve alongside one another and encourage one another, refresh. He also ends verse 18 with the phrase, Thou knowest very well. Onesiphorus was well known for his love and service to Paul. Paul did Look at the context. Paul didn't have to tell Timothy these things about Onesiphorus. He says, thou knowest it very well. It was what Onesiphorus was known as. That's Paul's friend. That's Paul's shadow. I'm sure some said it in jest. That's, 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 that he's all about Paul. If he lived in the day, he'd, be a, he'd have been called a man worshiper. But that's who he was, and he didn't even have to tell Timothy the things that Onesiphorus have done. All right, now I've given you the introduction. I've given you the whole outline. Now the conclusion is where I really want to drive some points home. Both times that Paul mentions Onesiphorus, he doesn't just speak of Onesiphorus. He speaks of his house. Look in chapter number 4 again. He said, salute Priscilla and Aquila in the household of Onesiphorus. Chapter 1, where we've been looking. Verse 16, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. He speaks of his house. At the end of the letter, in chapter 4, He salutes them. At the beginning, in chapter number 1, he says, For the Lord to give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. Then he says in this same passage of Scripture, verse 18, The Lord grant unto him that he find mercy of the Lord in that day. Now, uh, twice Paul mentions God giving mercy. Once it was for Anessa Force himself, and the second time for his family. I'll expound on that in just a moment, but this is a point I want to make. Paul acknowledged and was aware and have documented in the letter to Timothy what Anessa Force did for him. There is a great fondness in the heart of Paul because Paul understood that when he came to the end of his life, there were people who helped him do the will of God for his life. Onesiphorus being one, who didn't just encourage him, refreshed him. When he was beaten down, it gave him him life again. His presence just gave him some more fight, gave him some more strength. He had that ability about him. Onesiphorus made it his... His, his goal, his mission. God, God may not use me in the way that he uses Paul, but maybe God can use me to encourage and strengthen Paul so that he can do the work for God. Paul understood that. Paul said he refreshed me. Paul said he was never ashamed of me when I was in prison, when I, when I was disparaged. He was never ashamed of me. He never said, well, I, well, I'm really not his friend. He said, no, I'm the friend of Paul. I'm not ashamed of his chain. 
He, he, he did so many things to help him, so many that he could not even list them all because there were too many to list and they wouldn't all come to his mind. It was known that this was who he was. Yet, Paul, at the end of his life, did not salute Onesiphorus. He saluted his household. You say, Pastor, why is that? Because Paul understood that in order for Onesiphorus to minister to him as he did, there would be sacrifices on behalf of his household. There were times when he could have been home, but he was out in ministry with Paul. And Paul wanted on the record to say to the household of Onesiphorus, I'm aware of the sacrifice you've made. I'm acknowledging the sacrifice you made. And this man, your husband, your dad, he refreshed me. He helped keep me going. He helped give me strength. He met my physical need. He ministered to me so that I could minister to everybody else. And he says, I salute you, Mrs. Onesiphorus. I salute you, all of the children, because you made sacrifices so that Onesiphorus could minister to me. What a great truth. What a great acknowledgement by the great Apostle Paul. He was aware that for every individual who, who, who stepped to the forefront to serve the Lord, there were those in their own house who would sacrifice and let them do it. Don't be the kind of wife who holds the husband back from serving the Lord. Don't be the kind of husband that keeps the wife from serving the Lord. Don't be the kind of children that keeps mom and dad from serving the Lord. And likewise, don't be the kind of parent that keeps children from serving the Lord. Paul knew the sacrifices. He knew there were times when dad was not home because the work of God had to go on. The ministry had to go on. God's man needs me. I'm going to be there for God's man. And Paul at the end of his life said, I salute you. Because the work of God went on. And I want to acknowledge your sacrifice. I wonder how many Onesiphoruses have been hindered on their own behalf because they didn't want to make sacrifice, but because family and loved ones were not willing to allow them to serve in that capacity. We got to go down to church again? The pastor asked you to do what? Well, this, this, is, this is our time, and I'm not saying you shouldn't have your time. But at the same time, I want to flip this around. If the Apostle Paul was aware of it, God was aware of it. God would acknowledge it. And if you think that nobody realizes the sacrifice, and, and tonight I want to be, give you a, a challenge, don't be the way that you hinder somebody for being greatly used by God for coming alongside God's man to help him. I, I don't want you to miss that. But at the same time, I want you to understand 
if nobody else understands the sacrifice made because you can't be home like those that, that, that don't serve the Lord are home and, and you don't have some of the things that perhaps you could have if, if, if you weren't so dedicated to the ministry, God sees it. And he acknowledges the household. It, it's, it's so true. The most obvious is the pastor. The pastor could not do what the pastor do, did or does if the pastor's wife was not willing to allow him to do it. There's a reason why they just said the loneliest position of service in the ministry is the wife of the pastor. That's why there should be... God acknowledges that. That's why you ought to pray for your pastor, but you ought to pray for your pastor's wife. She lives with your pastor. But you ought to pray for her. Uh, the, 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 the pastor's family. The, sa the same situation. Uh, there are sacrifices to be made. and I, I'm a preacher's kid who has preacher's kids. I don't cut any preacher's kids any slack for their rebellion. You rebel, that's between you and God. Stop, you're, you're, you're 30 years old. Stop blaming your daddy for all your problems. You claim to be a man, be one. Just because you can grow a beard and look like a pirate don't mean you're a man. Quit blaming your daddy and your mommy for your problems. No, you're a rebel. I do understand, and I can say that because I understand from both sides of the spectrum what it's like to be a preacher's kid. And then I have preacher's kids. But the same is true to, to everybody who serves. And I would say tonight to the wife of, the, of my staff, I salute you for allowing your husband to serve alongside me, especially this week. I would say to the family, of, 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 I'd say to the children of every parent in here who serves the Lord in some capacity through this church, I salute you. I know there's times when you're not home, when you'd probably like to be home, but you're, for the sake of the ministry, you serve the Lord. To the wife or the husband of the Sunday school teacher, to the, to the family of the, of the soul winner, to those that say, Pastor has opened the doors, we need to be there serving, we're going to be there. I salute you because I know there are sacrifices that have to be made. God is aware of it as well. So be faithful, because there will be acknowledgement of it. So it's very interesting, and I think we see a point in the fact that he salutes the household of Onesiphorus. But I want to make this point, and we'll be done. He, used, he, he mentions mercy. Look with me again at verse number, seven, uh, verse number 16. In chapter, chapter 1, the Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. In verse 18, the Lord grant unto him that he may find mercy of the Lord in that day. Many in Asia during that time had forsaken Paul and thus the faith that Paul had taught them. 
In 2 Timothy 1.15, he speaks of two individuals who specifically had turned against him. This thou knowest, that all they which are in Asia be turned away from me, of whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. That day refers to the last days. We are in the last days, which means the world is waxing worse and worse. Of course, the same was true in Paul's day. Follow me now. Paul knew that many would forsake the faith and would turn against believers. All chapter 3 is about the last days. He asked for mercy upon Onesiphorus and his household during those days when they may be attacked and forced to pay the price for their faith. He's not speaking of their salvation, but he is asking for mercy for God to be with them during difficult days. His acknowledgement of the sacrifice, but what was his prayer for the companion who refreshed him? What was his prayer for the children that no doubt Paul sat in their home and fellowship with the family. His prayer was that they might find mercy in difficult days. They might find mercy from God to endure the battle that no doubt they would endure. See, Christians ought to pray for God to have mercy upon those who have been faithful. The Bible reminds us that we will suffer for our faith. We will need God's mercy to sustain us during our trials and tribulations. Do you think the Apostle Paul was a target of Satan? Sure he was. And if Paul would not bend, and he wouldn't, the imprisonments, the beatings, all of those things, he never strayed. The Bible says that resist the devil and he will flee. So when the devil targeted the apostle Paul, and Paul would not yield, Paul would not quit, Paul would not throw in the towel, it just makes sense that then Satan would turn his attention to those who assist the apostle Paul who helped the Apostle Paul in his ministry. If I understand spiritual warfare, and I believe I've got a pretty good understanding of it, and if I understand these passages of Scripture, and I believe I do, and the Bible in, in general, I believe it would be safe to say that Anesiphorus and his family found themselves in the crosshairs of the devil himself. Because if it was this man that refreshed Paul when he needed to be refreshed, certainly it would make sense that if the devil could hinder or the devil could destroy or the devil could distract the one who refreshed Paul, then perhaps he would not be there to refresh him when he needed to be refreshing and I could stop the work that way. So Paul, realizing the sacrifice of the household, he asked for mercy from God for the time when the persecution, the difficulty would come. 
And, I, and there's some analogies. I didn't intend to make them tonight, but I think they're pretty, pretty simple to make, and we'll make them. We know that as a Bible-believing, soul-winning church, the devil is going to fight us. He's fought us in the past. He's fighting us today. He'll fight us in the future. We're we're not just standing on what we believe. We are a soul-winning church. And sometimes some may ask, and you may ask yourself, well, how come all these other churches, the devil never seems to bother them? If some are not being snatched from the flames of fire in eternity and given a new future with heaven, they're not bothering the devil that much. So this church is always going to be a target like any church who's trying to reach the world with the gospel. Which means the pastor is a target. He's the main target. Again, you should pray for your pastor. Well, if the pastor will not yield and God strengthens the pastor and he holds to what he's been handed, then he is going to start with those that are closest to him. He'll start with his own family. And then if they hold fast and they don't yield, then he's going to start with those that God has assembled around the pastor to help do the work. Let me clue you in on that. It's all of us. So Paul is praying for grace for the household so that they can endure. What a great prayer. That prayer of mercy mercy will not prevent persecution, but it will give us the strength to endure it. Paul anticipated what was ahead for Anastasius and his family. Wish God to have special mercy on them. Let me close with this, because I think I've made my point tonight. We do not know if Anessa Forrest ever preached a sermon. We don't even know anything about him, what became of him after Paul's death. But we do know that he was a friend of Paul. We need more like Anessa Forrest, who will stand with the man of God, with the work of God, so that God's work can go on. And we need not just the man, but we need the household to be willing to make the sacrifice. There's no doubt that there are men who should be standing in a pulpit. Somebody in the household wouldn't let them do it. There's no doubt, and I would say it's true even of our great church, there's men who could serve in a greater capacity if it wasn't for the hindrance and the unwillingness to make the sacrifice on the household. It's, there's certainly, it would certainly be true. Likewise, there are ladies. You, you would do more for the cause of Christ if you weren't hindered by your husband. 
I'm not trying to, I don't know the right word, I pick on anybody, I'm not trying to, I'm just saying, in general, there is more that could be done for the cause of Christ if there was households who would be willing to say, the cause is greater. And be willing to make the sacrifice so that God's work can go on. Uh, I'm for family. You know that. I'm for taking time with your family. I take time with my family. I take vacation with my family. I'm going to continue to do so. But there are sacrifices that we should be willing to make so the cause of Christ can go on. And maybe we'd be willing to take the standard that has been set for us and allow the Holy Spirit to apply it to our life, our situation. I'm not suggesting every man in here go out here and start a church. I'd have nobody to preach to. Maybe you could serve in a greater capacity in the church. I mean, if you should do that, go do it. But maybe you could, you, you should, could serve in a greater capacity. And I'll just say personally, and as the pastor, I'm sure I'm not aware of every sacrifice. But I, I try and be sensitive, and I am aware of it takes sacrifice by everybody if the work of God is going to go on. I don't take lightly those that serve alongside me. I don't take lightly the time that you got to leave home to do certain things, to stand at the door out front, to be in the nursery. I don't take lightly the meals that are missed and the times that on Wednesdays and other times there's, we don't sit down. At that. I don't take that lightly, but I want to say as your pastor, I salute you. God is very aware of the sacrifice that is made. I don't know if this was as much a blessing to you as it has been to me. But the acknowledgement of Paul, not just to Onesiphorus, but to his household. Let's, can you imagine what would happen in our Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches if all across the membership as a household, we said we're going to serve the Lord? And if the door opens for me to serve, I'm going to serve. Hey, don't, don't, I, I, I've said enough. And, and let's, let's, let's be thankful for the opportunities we have. Uh, let's be aware of the opportunities that we have. And let's take advantage of them. And let's not be the reason why somebody in our own home is held back. Mom and Dad, your kids surrender to the ministry. Don't do anything to hold them back. Don't do anything to hold them back. God impresses upon somebody in your home to do more for God. Instead of coming up with all the reasons why they can't, why don't we pray about it and, and see what doors God opens. And there is sacrifice that takes place. But that refreshing friend, there's two great truths in this. There was a man who said, I just want to be the person who God uses to encourage and refresh Paul. And then the second great truth is that there was a home. There was a wife. 
who allowed this man to serve in that capacity. There were kids who no doubt knew Paul, and Paul knew and said, well, Dad, if you're going to go be with Paul, if you're going to go find Paul, then go right ahead. Go right ahead. God sees and knows the sacrifices we make. Father, I pray that you'll take the truth tonight. Use it. May the Spirit of God apply it to our hearts, our lives.